Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, towards the end of Colossians 1, verses 21. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles in front of you. I don't have a page number for you today, but towards the end of the book in Colossians is where we are. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles and put your name in it and make it your own. We're at Colossians chapter 21, verse 21, and we're going to go into chapter 2. I'm going to read that in just a minute. But I want to I want to ask you have you ever been asked the question by someone when are you going to grow up Parents don't look at your children your pastor is going to say to you, through the ministry of God's word, when are you going to grow up? That's what God calls us to. Each one of us needs to look in the mirror and need to say, Daniel, you say your name, am I growing up as a Christian? Am I growing up as a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, we saw last week, Jesus Christ is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He shows us God. He is not just with God. He is God and with the Father. And he is the creator who made all things. He made everything in this room. He made you. And he is the sustainer of all things. Right now, you're hanging in there because he is keeping you every moment and everything in this universe. And Jesus is Lord. And he has come, and by divine right, and by the right given to him by his Father, he is at the right hand of the Father, and he will reign until he makes all his enemies a footstool. And he is the head of the body, the church, who will fill all in all in this world for the glory of God. And someday... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Either will they do it willingly or unwillingly. Through him, the blood of the cross, Jesus will bring a reconciliation of all things. Friends, today's sermon is about another aspect of Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. Christianity is about a holy God showing his glory by saving sinners. Would you read with me this passage? I'll read it. You follow along as we look at verses 21 through the beginning of verse or into chapter 2. And Paul says this, You and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, you were doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflict, Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that which was given to me for you, Colossians, to you, the church, to make the word of God fully known. 
this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now get this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ for this high toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you or with plausible arguments. For though I am absent from the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. This passage shows us five things about our salvation. Five things that are absolutely central to your life, and you must pay attention. Five things that must run through the very heart of a congregation to bring life and truth. Five things, the need of salvation, the work of salvation, the hope of salvation, the proof of salvation, and the assurance of salvation. And I hope you have received and understand all of these. First of all, I want you to see the need of salvation. Would you look with me at the first verse of what I read, verse 21? He says this, and you who once were, what we get in these verses are, you once were this, but now you were this. You know the the diet commercials, the before picture and the after picture. That is what Paul is saying with Christi- with what Christ has done. Here is the before picture of your life, and here is the after picture of your life. Here's the before, verse 21. You were once, he describes it in three ways. You were alienated, you were hostile in mind, and you were doing evil deeds. In chapter 2, he's going to say, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins and uncircumcision of the flesh. Paul says at one time, you were alienated. You were off the map. You were strangers from God. You were separated from him, far away from him, not at even close. And because of that, you had no hope and no promise towards you. It says also that you were hostile in mind. Your minds were corrupt and you were going your own way. I think this is what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4. He uses the same kind of language and he says, You must no longer walk like the Gentiles. That's how you used to be. In the futility of your minds, this is how they are. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated. There's that same word. Alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorances that is in them due to the hardness of their heart, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, 
to practice every kind of impurity. Paul says, and because of this alienation from God, because of a mind and heart, a mindset that's set away from God, but doing your own thing, your, your own mentality is sensuality, greediness, me first, and all other kinds of mindsets that is not submitted to a creator that is fully thankful and operating under submission and obedience to him. He says, that is who you were before and you needed salvation. Friends, either this is a past condition or a present condition for those that are in this room with it this morning. I wonder where you are. I believe that most of you, and I've heard many of your testimonies, that by God's grace, this is a past experience for you, and you have received what you absolutely needed, is you needed salvation because your experience was you are far away from God. You are going your own ways. You are seeking to rule your own life. You are maybe using God but surely not worshiping God. You may have believed in a God, but you had not yielded and submitted yourself to God. Instead, your mindset and your ways and therefore your practice in living, even if it looked okay to everybody else because it wasn't as bad as a lot of other people, you were far away from God. Either that was your situation and something changed, or I want to say to you, I believe that always in a room of this size or listening online, there are people listening and say, that is right now your condition. And oh, I want to plead with you. Your being alienated, removed far away from God is, a, is the most important and the greatest problem of your life. And you need that remedied. You need to be saved. And if you have experienced that removal of alienation and have, have been saved, as you reflect on the need that you had and have been received, I pray that it would cause your heart this morning as we work through this passage to just overflow with gratitude, surrender, love, and obedience. Let's move to the second aspect of salvation. Not only the need, but I want you to see the work of salvation. Look with me at, verses, at verse 22. At the beginning of 22, he says, this was where you once were, verse 21. But verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Here we find the work of salvation. Paul is rejoicing and reminding the Colossians, you were once this way. Friends, members of Faith Church, 
believers and brothers and sisters of Christ, you once were this way, but he has now reconciled you. You were alienated and far off. He, you were off the map, and he brought you into his home. And it says here, he has now reconciled the bringing of a hostility between two parties, God and sinful people, and he has brought us together and not just put us in this kind of chilly freeze, but made us family. And he made us his son. And it says he has reconciled you. How did he do it? He reconciled us, says here, in his, Jesus' body of flesh by his death. We're studying Ephesians on Wednesday nights in Ephesians 2.13. We were just there a week and a half ago. It says in verse 13 of Ephesians 2, Now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, that's most of us, maybe all of us, you Gentiles, Christians, saved, rescued, you were once far off, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were off the map, but he put you back on. You were excluded, but now you're included. Why? Because Jesus died. We, Mike reminded us, pointed us to that through the body and the blood, the flesh that was given for us by God. Or as Paul says it in Romans 5, you are enemies and we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now, if that's the case, how much more will we be reconciled? Shall we be saved by his life? And we're going to see this next week in Colossians 2. He says, you are dead, but God made you alive, verse 13. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Look at chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. This is what he did by his body in his death to reconcile and bring us back to God. He canceled the record of debt on the cross that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing that record of your guilt and shame, your record of all of your sins, past, present, and future. He nailed them on the cross and cleaned the slate for you through the death of Jesus Christ can you believe it? He did it for you. Please wake up to that reality. Daniel, wake up to that reality. Live in a world that believes this is true. He did this for you. He reconciled me and you. And so that Paul, when he's writing to a divided church who's struggling and struggling with suffering themselves in 2 Corinthians... He says to them about his ministry, the ministry of this book, the ministry of Jesus Christ and the gospel that saves us. He says to them, you Christians are new in Christ. You're a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're sitting here with the hope of eternal life because you have been saved and there's life in you, though you deserve to burn in hell, that's not your 
destiny. Instead, your destiny is salvation and glory forevermore. And it's because he reconciled you through Jesus' body being killed for you. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, he reconciled you through his body. And he gave you a ministry of reconciliation. So Paul says this. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so my, and then he says this, for our sake, he, the father, made him, the son, to be sin. He didn't sin, but to be sin meant to take on sin and all of the punishment and horror that sins deserves. The father made the son to become sin who knew no sin so that in the son, we big time sinners undeserving of any of this, might become the righteousness of God. That is how God reconciled us. You are right with God if you're saved because Jesus became sin in obedience to the Father the Father having sent the Son to reconcile us to himself. And we are now declared God's righteousness, and God is really happy with you and me. Astounding, unbelievable, except we need to believe it. The work of salvation, do you know it? Do you sing it? Do you practice it? Do you live like it's a reality in your life? So why did he reconcile us? And why this work of salvation? That's the third point. For the hope of salvation. And I want you to see the second half of verse 22. He says, he reconciled you in his body through Christ, his death, in order Verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This, I call this the hope that is laid up for you in heaven is that someday you are saved so that someday you are going to be presented to God in Jesus Christ. Here we have a court language. Jesus has reconciled and he plans to someday present us to a judge, but this also could be Jesus is presenting us to himself, both as judge, but also as a bridegroom to his, a bride to his bridegroom. Because this is the language that Paul says when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he says, this is how Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, make her clean, pure, beautiful, holy having cleansed her by the washing of the word so that he might present to the church, the church to himself in splendor. 
I, I want to plead with you to take your attention this morning to the reality that if he has saved you, if the work of salvation is a reality in your life, it's for a great hope. And that hope is that he is going, and that hope is certain if he saved you, and that he is going, the result of this is he's going to present you to himself and to the Father. And he's going to present you holy and blameless and with no reproach. He does that first and foremost by putting, covering his robes of righteousness around you when you are declared in Christ Jesus. And you are legally now the status of the righteous. And I can, we can be called the saints of God even though we are sinners. And saints mean, means holy ones. Because we are declared by God in his courts based on Jesus' death on the cross, the righteous holy ones. But his promise is more than that. He says, I am going to literally make this a reality little by little through the rest of your life so that you will be truly holy and blameless. Your hearts and lives will be changed more and more as you go through this life. This is the hope of the Christian. Do you desire that? Do you desire to grow more holy than you were last week? Tim Keller, one of, my, one of the preachers that I enjoy Maybe you've read many of his sermons. You go to YouTube and type in Tim Keller, and you can find a lot of good sermons. He's in his 70s now. He has a pretty severe, probably terminal cancer. He got in the middle of COVID, and he's fighting through that. And in an interview, he was asked, what hit you when you got this diagnosis? And he said two words, focus and sanctification. And he said, he said God gave me a gift saying, I'm probably going to die sooner than later, maybe years, maybe months, and I'm not holy enough yet. By which he didn't mean, I got to get holy enough so Jesus will accept me. That's not what he meant. He meant, God saved me a purpose, and that purpose is to live out this hope of being from the inside out different, being matured, being a real Christian, a real saved one that takes on and is, lives worthy of this salvation. And he says, oh, it has caused me to pray and to seek the Lord even more. Well, guys, friends, you're going to die. You have a terminal condition. All of us do. And you're not holy enough yet. I'm not holy enough yet. I'm not set apart to him yet like I... I am not... I'm not at the place where I could, you could say, Daniel Patch, mature in Christ. And I doubt it can say that yet for you. And God gives us this word, this exhortation to strengthen and sanctify and grow the saved one. And if you're sitting here, and to save the unsaved one. And so the hope of the Christian is that you, and it's a sure hope. Maybe me, I put it a different word than hope. The result of the true Christian is that they will be presented holy and blameless before him in love. Now, the fourth thing I want you to see is the proof of our salvation. Look at verse 23. 
We see a necessary proving of the Colossians and to a Christians. They will be presented holy, blameless, and without reproach if they really have been made new in Christ. But what is the proof of that reality? Look at verse 23. If indeed, or literally if or provided that, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, have become a minister. What Paul is saying in verse 23, he is saying the proof of the reality that you've been saved or reconciled or made new. You want to know the proof of you're a Christian? The proof of good seed is that it produces fruit. It continues. The proof of a true Christian is the continuance of our faith a faith that brings forth a real obedience. If the Colossians are truly new creations in Christ, they will and they must show evidence of their reality, and that evidence is not shifting from the hope of the gospel. It's like what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, Now, brothers, this gospel I preached to you, you received and you were saved. And you stand in it. And you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach you, unless you believed it in vain. There are many Christians who say they are Christians, but they're Christians in word only. They say they believe, but they have not truly surrendered and put their faith in Christ in a way that has surrendered all else and embraced Christ as the treasure of their life. That's real faith. This passage is saying, and he is exhorting, he is encouraging, and he is warning, and he's saying, the proof that you're really reconciled with God is that you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. See, the, the centrality of this gospel, there is proof of this, of, of authenticity, of this new creation that Jesus has done, and it's in the life of a Christian. If you and I are not maturing in our faith, there is good reason to wonder if we are really in the faith. If you and I have no steadfast, growing continuance in knowing, following, and trusting in Jesus, we have no good reason to have assurance that we have ever truly been in the faith. It was a sham in the first place, a false conversion. Now, Paul doesn't believe that is the case for them. He believes wholeheartedly that these Colossians who have started to bear fruit are real and authentic, and they will prove that their faith is real by continuing in the faith and not shifting from the gospel. But he wants them to say, please be attentive because you will have dangerous teaching in your life that will try to drift you away from Jesus and go to something else and you'll have none of this. Look to Jesus. Jesus all is what you need. Look no further than Jesus Christ. The conditional phrase of if is not meant to say we earn our salvation or we keep ourselves in salvation. It is to say this is the proof of whether your salvation is real, because a real tree will bear the fruit of that tree. 
The last thing I want you to see about our salvation, it's work, it's hope and result, it's proof, but I want you to see the assurance of salvation. I I asked in this last point, does your life, and I want to ask you this, does your life give evidence that you have been reconciled? I'm talking about do your, does your behavior, does your mindset, does your priorities, does your conviction of sin, does your view of Jesus Christ as God, Savior, Sustainer, and your Lord show evidence that you have been reconciled and saved by Him? I want to challenge you to hold fast to the hope with assurance. This passage says that Paul, as we move into the second chapter, Paul is going to say, now, Colossians, you began a, God began a good work in you, and God's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says that in Philippians 1, but he's going to say, this is why I, have, I struggle in ministry. This is why Epaphras, their pastor, struggles in ministry, and he's going to say this at the end of chapter 4. This is why... We minister because we are assured and we want you to be assured and stand assured that Jesus Christ has saved you and you can know that you absolutely are saved and that if you die tomorrow, you will stand before him and be received as acceptable and pure and blameless because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He wants them to be rooted in the joy of assurance. And Jesus is the assurance of their salvation. Jesus is in them. And he says here, he says, to, God, to them God chose to make me, Paul says, I want to let you know how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And get this, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Friends, if you have been saved, it is what has happened is there's been an, a, a supernatural exchange and you are different if you've been saved. And Christ is now in you. And if he's in you, you have within you a hope that is secure, an assurance that is secure that he is in you. And it is glory now and glory to come. And he says, I want you to know to the depths of your being, this reality. Oh, faith church. I said this on Wednesday night, quoting from someone else. Far too often Christians are, are neither, how do I say it? Either they're not sad or happy enough. We are not sad or happy enough. We are not sad enough over our own sin or over the grief or the sadness of what's going on and we aren't compassionate toward them, but we're not happy enough because we have not yet come to experience that Christ is in us the hope of glory. We have not experienced and are not rejoicing in the great hope that he has planted in our hearts. And he says, Colossians, my entire ministry is to proclaim this Jesus where it's all found. And I want to warn everyone and I want to teach everyone with all wisdom so that I may present everyone mature in Christ. It is God's plan. It is God's will if you are saved for you to be presented someday mature in Christ. How are you going? 
that mature in Christ means assured that he has saved me, proving my salvation not by my own efforts and strength, but by I, as I continue to walk in the faith, clinging to one another and having people in my life helping me as I look steadfastly to the hope that is before me. He says, I want you to know the struggle that I have for you. Verse 1, chapter 2. And for the Laodiceans and for all that have seen me face to face, that your hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love to reach the full assurance of understanding. Oh, I want you to have a full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of this God's mystery, which is Christ. In Christ is all, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Stay firm in him. Don't go anywhere else. There's no hope or satisfaction. He is enough. Don't go outside of him. Oh, that you'd be firm in your faith, firm in your assurance of what he has done for you. And Paul says, this is why I struggle. See, how, see verse 1, chapter 2. This is, I want you to know how great a struggle how does Paul struggle? He's never seen the Colossians. He'll probably never go to the Colossae, the city they're in. He's struggling as he ministers elsewhere, but he's struggling in his prayers. Just like we read at the end of Colossians 4, verse 12, when he mentions Epaphras, a Colossian. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's a servant of Christ, Jesus. He greets you always struggling on on your behalf, in his prayers. Why? So that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. I, I want to I wrap this time up by asking a few questions to you. Are you growing up in Christ? You know that if you're a Christian, that's the purpose of your life. And it's, necessary, it's a necessary result of your salvation, a change of life. Are you growing to know Jesus, to cherish him, to believe in all that he says, to obey him, and when you don't obey him, have a mindset of saying, I need to confess that and he will forgive me, that when you do sin, you repent of it, you turn away from it, you move more towards other people that will help you grow the body of Christ and to strengthen you. Are you growing up in Christ to be mature in Christ? That is God's intention for all who he saves. Or are you content to be or have a distant savior? Someone who is far from you. Oh, he'll save you, maybe you think. But you don't cherish him. How long have you known him? Are you becoming more like him in your humility, in your sacrificial love, in purity, generosity, contentment, and dependence on the Father? And I wonder if a year from now, if I preached here and you're still here, you would say, Pastor Daniel, I'm far closer in maturity to him than I was a year before. And could you say that from last year? Another question I ask you, are you aware that you are being prepared for a day? You are going to be presented by Christ to himself as his bride with all the church and to God, the judge. 
Oh, thank God we will have Jesus standing next to us as our mediator. Because no one could stand before God, the holy God. And, and live apart from his work of mediating, changing. But these kinds of verses are meant to remind us we will be presented someday and you are being prepared for that last day. Or is this so foreign to your life, this thinking? You think nothing of preparation for the last day. Everything is about here and now and what you want with Christianity, a helpful solvent that comes into my life and makes my kingdom run a little bit smoother. But thank you, God, that's about all I want to view. No, to the Christian, to the true believer and follower of Jesus Christ, they look to that day with a type of trembling and a hope, knowing that he has reconciled me and has not left me alone. But in Jesus Christ, who is in me, the hope of glory, I look. And he is preparing for me. He is preparing me for that last day. Please start thinking about this. Someday, all of the elders here will, who are watching over your souls, and this is one of the reasons to become a member, Passages like this, we are called to have leaders watching over souls because it says that someday we will give an account. I wonder what that great day of the Lord will be. Maybe member and pastor together before Jesus saying, giving an account. Paul says, you are my crown of rejoicing at the presence of the Lord. Another question, are you assured of your salvation? Are you assured that you are saved? If you died today, would you? Do you have absolute confidence based on God's word, based on what he has done for you, based on a living hope within you that Christ is in you? And Christ is in you is proven, not because you're so good, but because he's working on something new within you. Do you have that assurance? Oh, I pray that you'll grow to have the glorious assurance of your salvation based on the truth of God working in you to cause you to look away from yourself, even your own practice and your own good behavior, and to look fully to Jesus Christ, who is a full and sufficient Savior. For every look to self, look ten times to Christ. And do you need to be saved? We're probably all aware, and we need to be aware every Sunday, that some of you are sitting here, and we're so glad you're here. You're so welcome. But I believe with all my heart, and I, I think we do too, that are praying for you, that you're here for a purpose, and it's, it's a divine purpose. You were made not for yourself, but for the glory of God, and you were made and you will not find fulfillment unless you bow the knee to the one true Lord and one true Savior of the world, and that's Jesus Christ who came and lived in this world. He died on the cross but did not remain dead. He rose from the dead, and he is at the right hand of the Father. And he has come, and he has done a work in millions, if not billions of people throughout history, and someday he will return, and he will judge, and he will rescue all who come to him and receive his free gift of salvation.
Have you received it? Will you receive it today? As Paul says, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I welcome you to that. I invite you to come talk with me or one of the pastors after the church or right in your seat right now. Call on him to save you. Surrender yourself to him and he will not let you down. Father, I pray that you would please make us a mature people. We're not mature enough. Oh God, I I don't say that with whining or even frustration. It just, you're so good and we should be more mature than we are. As Paul said, I strive and labor so that I may present everyone mature in Christ. Oh God, I pray that we all would be able to stand fully mature and fully assured in the salvation. God, I pray for the women and men in this room that they're not in Christ yet and they would be in Christ. I pray for the men and women and children and teens that are in Christ. And I pray that we would we would grow up into our salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus, our only hope, and our full and sure hope. It's in his name I pray, amen.